when Aleem talked initially about this three kind of things, my immediate reaction was, little words matter. Uh, God for us, God with us, God in us. The most important word. I mean, we can look at it and say, yeah, God's the most important word, but is it? I think sometimes the most important word is that little word in there because God is so many other things. God is for us. What does that mean? God is with us. What does that mean? God is in us. What does that mean? I remember once doing a talk on that little word in and one of the guys sitting there kind of says, you know, I never realised how two little letters stuck together can have such a wealth of meaning. And certainly that's true if you actually get into the Greek of the New Testament. That little word in is profound. Um, so what I wanted to do is to just talk a little bit about um, this whole kind of theme. Um, so when you take those little words, for, with and in, and you add, add names and nouns and people to those things like God, with, God for, God in, and us, you put your own name at the end, you know, um, it, it really makes an impact. God with Leslie. God for Leslie. Take your own name, put it there. When we add the nouns and the names, it becomes very powerful indeed. And imagine saying to a friend, I'm for you, you know. Imagine the impact that something simple like that can have on a person's life. I am for you. I'm with you. Go for it. Um, I'm in you. You can do it. And, you know, in a, in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, that's the sort of thing you do say, you know. We become one. And if you're a parent, you say these sort of things to your kids, don't you? Or at least you want to. <laughs> um, and they're powerful ideas. And imagine now that it's like that, a little bit like that I from before where God is actually saying it and he's speaking to us. And he's taking that moment to say, to look at me and say, I am for you, you know. I am with you now and I am in you. And that's the, the kind of concept. So, <clears throat> I want you to think for a moment a little bit about a, a movie. And I'm thinking of movie like Cats and Dogs, you know, that kind of thing. And what we end up doing, those movies are a success because we attribute to the animals our ideas and our way of looking at the world and the, the, the animals come out with us. They come out with our expressions. And it's a, it's a, it really is quite an interesting thing that we do because we assume that, that, that those animals are having the kind of thoughts that we have. They probably don't. I'm not sure what the animal version of psychology is. Um, it probably has a name. Um, but I, 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 I couldn't tell you. But what we do know is that our thoughts are not dog thoughts or cat thoughts. And our ways are not dog ways or cat ways. But isn't that familiar? 
when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, we're different. So, sometimes what we do is we, we kind of assume that God's just one of us and attribute our thoughts to him and it can get us all kind of tricked up, bogged down. <clears throat> and so one of the things we need to just watch out for is this whole thing of attributing our human characteristics and our personalities to God. And we sometimes wonder why he doesn't do things that we expect. And sometimes we don't take the time to ask him and say, um, how far is this off the mark? How far away am I from thinking what you think? So I want to tell you about a couple of transactions that are very significant in my life. I'm not sure how old the children are, but when I was 11, a major transaction happened in my life. I was at a boys' club gathering up in Ipswich. There's a vacant block of land in East Street in Ipswich. Just as you come across the David Trumpy Bridge heading towards the hospital, there's a little vacant block of land now sitting down there in East Street, which was just a couple of doors up from what was the Grand Hotel. I was baptised in a building on that site in 1968. Um, but a few years before that, about five years before it, I was sitting in that building there. I have no idea. Oh, you may also know that as you drive, as you're coming along Brisbane Road, heading into Ipswich at Bandamba there, there's this huge um, place that says uh, um, Grant Bathrooms. Um, Brian Grant is the name on the, on the sign. Well, Brian was the leader of the boys' club at our fellowship in Ipswich when I was little. Brian was talking that night and I was sitting there as an 11-year-old listening to this story and then I must have zoned out. I have no idea to this day what he was talking about. But as I sat there, all of a sudden, right throughout my whole being, I hear God saying, I want you in my army. And my immediate response was, you know, a skinny, unwell, sickly child like me, you want me in your army? And I said, you must love me a lot. Um, and it was like in that transaction, it didn't matter that I was weak, that I was sickly, that I was, you know, a, I, I could turn up at a party and nobody would know I was there. I'd be in the corner sitting watching everything. And I was, to me, I was that insignificant little person and God on that night said, I want you in my army. And there was a complete transaction happened on that night. And I in my heart, I said to God, well, if you love me that much, you've got me forever. And that was a real transaction. I, as I said, I have no idea what Brian was saying. A few years before that, Billy Graham came to Australia. Some of you may have heard about it, but I suspect that many of you would not have a clue of what that was like. But Billy Graham came to Australia in 1959 and early 1960s. And my dad was a, a rough little coal miner. His nickname was Hellfire Jack. And um, he went along. Some people from that little church in Ipswich invited him along and he went along and God arrested him that night. Completely spun him around. Complete transaction takes place there in that place. And Dad's a different person. 
these transactions happen. Now, why do, why do they happen? And, and this is, this is the, the fascinating thing. It's not something that we manufacture. I had no idea what was going to happen that night when I was there. Dad had no idea what was going to happen to him when he went to that meeting. But God knows and God is for us. And that was the, the main point of the exercise. Now, let me just refer you now to another little thing that happened many, many, many years ago. You may not realise, but the Apostle Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. He was probably about the same age. And I suspect they knew each other from opposite side of the trenches, so to speak. And Paul's off on one of his grand missions because he's got to stamp out Jesus. And he's on his way to that city that's been in the news a lot over the last couple of years, Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, suddenly he's lying on the ground blind. And what on earth is going on? And God took Saul, as his name was then, and completely spun him around, completely turned him around from being somebody who hated and persecuted Jesus to somebody who would die for Jesus. And the transaction happened right there in that moment. And I suspect that for most of us, if we really think about it, there'll be some little transaction point in our lives. Something that we can identify. Now, it may not be as dramatic as falling off a horse and going blind, but it could be as dramatic as a little, a little 11-year-old boy sitting there and God reaches out and says, I want, I'm, I want you and I love you that much. Or it could be my dad. <clears throat> so I was sort of thinking about why does this happen? The first, first thing it happens precisely because God is different from us. Precisely because God is different from us. And that's how he can do it. If he was just one of us, he wouldn't be able to do that, would he? He's not limited to our three-dimensional view of him or of ourselves. Now, if I can have the next picture up, I want you to have a look at this, see what you think. I'll come, actually, I'll swap it around. Can, it, can you go to the next one? And I'll come back to that one, if you don't mind. I want you to have a look at this. There's a, um, should be a, a book cover. This is a book I want to buy. <laughs> look at the subtitle. The Toxic State of Public Discourse and How to Clean It Up. And I go, that is one of the critical things of this day. But that attitude is, is rife. It's everywhere. I'm right and you're an idiot. But the sad thing that I find is that, that a lot of people actually think that God's like that. That God's sitting up there, out of reach, saying, I'm right and you're an idiot. Well, let me in on, let me in, you in on a secret. That's a big lie. An utter lie. <laughs> that it's not God sitting up there saying, I'm right and you're an idiot. He's saying... Whether I'm right or wrong isn't the point. And he's saying, you're not an idiot. And I made you, so what makes you think you're an idiot? Um, and so 
leaving that behind, putting that aside, you can move it back to the other one now if you like, thank you, um, to the other picture. And I'll come to that in a second. <clears throat> so the second thing it the second reason it happens is because God is not that kind of person. And third, it happens because we're never out of his sight, like that picture. Now, over the last little while, Aline's been talking about faith. And I, I use these Venn diagrams. In, in case you didn't know, that's a Venn diagram. And where they overlap in the centre is what I'm, what I'm looking at, what I'm thinking about. But there are elements that make up those things. And I have, I don't know, 50 or so of these different things where I pick up a word and then look at the component parts of it. So f faith essentially consists of these things, knowledge, belief and trust. And what happens in that transaction is, like happened to me as a little 11-year-old boy, God told me something about himself. He gave me some knowledge. He gave me some information. He said, I love you and I'm the one who's looking out for you. And I just latched onto that and I said... Um, that's better than anything I've heard. That's so exciting. And my belief kicked in and I, my response after a couple of minutes was to say to God, well, if that's the case, then you've got me for life. And that's what this is, you see. So years later, I'm looking at that and saying, that's exactly what happened to me that night. God showed me something of himself. I believed it. And then I latched onto it and said, that's what I'm committing to. And that's what my father did. That's what the Apostle Paul or Saul as he was known before he was a possible, that's what he did. And so what I'm really keen here is that we are found in him by this. It doesn't just mean if somebody's out looking for me, that, that's where they'll find me. You know, you say, oh, you'll find him in the shop down the road. He's just gone to get some Vitabrits. You know, no, that's not what it's about. It means that in God, I am found. I am a found person. I'm no longer lost. In God, he knows exactly where I am and I can knock on his door and go in and be one of his found people any time of the day or night. And that's how I know that God is for us. So it's not just an argument to be debated, but a statement of absolute and unchanging truth. Now, I was really happy because the, the little scripture that I wanted to, um, I was going to finish with, I've actually printed some out so that you can have them, and that's what was read a little before. So there's enough there for you to have a sheet of paper with that printed on. <laughs> yes. Um, So what, where, that, where that all comes for me is looking at the transaction in my life, the transaction in my father's life, the transaction in Saul's life when he became Paul. God is for us. It's not an argument to be debated, but it is a statement of absolute and unchanging truth. And so years later when Paul is writing to Rome, that's what he says on that sheet of paper. 
What can I say, friends, if God is for us, who or what can be truly against us? And it wasn't like that was a, oh, maybe God's for us, and if he is, then that's a good thing. If he's not, I don't know what the answer to that is. No, it's saying if it's like that's a given. That's what Paul was saying. I've demonstrated through the first eight chapters or seven chapters of this book that God is for us. And since God is for us, that's what Paul is saying, since God is for us, then who and what can be against us? And so looking at that initial thing that I drew last week, God never let me out of his sight. He pursued me until I stopped resisting. He found me and I found him. And, in my, and now, as a result of that, I'm in my right and true relationship. I'm where I need to be. And I know that in this place of where I am and where my father and I met as brothers, <laughs> that's a funny thing to get your head around. My father and I met as brothers in that place, found in God. And I remember Dad, a few years before he died, saying, just looking at me and saying, you know, you're doing what I really wanted to do and never got to do in the things of God. And that had very considerable meaning to me. But it, what it did was it taught me that I and my dad are on the same level when we're found in God. So Paul, writing to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep, hold and sustain what I have entrusted to him, which is myself, until the day it is all consummated in Jesus. And that's my paraphrase of Timothy. I am persuaded that he is able to keep, hold and sustain what I have entrusted to him, that is myself, until the day it is all consummated in Jesus. And often the reason we struggle with God for us is that we view God the way we view animals and say, well, I just put my character and my ways on that animal and, and it doesn't work. So God is for us. And I want to just show you this. I, I was going to draw on my own hand and I thought, no, I won't do that. But I want to just... I use... When I'm dealing with, some, with a lot of stuff, I use visuals that can easily be remembered or you can use. So I just got a hand. And out of what Paul wrote, I identified five things that are absolutely critical to this whole process that we have found, and as a result of God being for us, we are spared. We're rescued, saved, spared. There is no charge, he says. Who can bring a charge against God's people? There is no charge. There is no condemnation as you stand in Jesus. There is no separation between you and God. You don't need a go-between. You don't need a priest. You don't need a box. You don't need a dog. You don't need anything in between you and God. 
There is no separation. And not only that, is this thing called intercession, where God has appointed Jesus as the one who intercedes and comes in between. He is our access. He is our bridge. He is the man in between. He's the go-between bridge. And so I use this little hand with the five things on it like that to illustrate where that, where that puts us. And as a result, I've lived... I was 11, I'm 64. So how many years is that? That road that I've travelled for 53 years has always been the road that, of knowing that God is for me, but for us. Now, the final picture, if you can put that one up, I thought this might be useful for us to kind of grab a hold of. Because although I don't think I've ever had hair like that, pretty much everything else is the same. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I love the fact that this is in fellowship and all these other people are around and looking on and saying, yes, I agree. God is for you. And I'm like that too. God is for us. And so what I, what I was hoping we might be able to do then is to have a look at these th the three questions that I put together. I do apologise that I'm not particularly good at writing questions for children. Never have been. Um, so I do apologise that I... I just, I just couldn't go in there and sort of work out something that I, I was happy would work. So what I, would, I, what I was hoping we might be able to do is to not just advance some encouragement and some strength and some grace for us to grow in our lives, but also to explore a little bit of each other, each other's lives. So how do you know that God is for you? And I'm not talking about being able to quote scripture because we can all do that. If we get serious, we can just open the Bible and find something and say it. But what's your journey with that? See, when I was 11, I had no scripture. I didn't have any texts in my head. Neither did my dad. And I suspect that the text that Paul, that Saul had was the Jewish Old Testament because that was their Bible. And Jesus was living in amongst them and he saw Jesus, but he didn't really pay much attention. And the second question, do you ever have to deal with thoughts that God is not for you? Can you think of a couple? And what can you do when faced with the idea that maybe God is not for you? So can I just encourage you to grab a couple of other people, have a think about those things and maybe... Um, work through them a little and then perhaps at the end of that uh, there might be a couple of people brave enough to kind of answer a couple of those for us publicly. How does that sound?